you're still going to need uh, to ask the questions, uh, to have the ideas. AI can help you kind of create many, many more ideas, but also to have taste and judgment about how you want to go about things. And I think the creatives we share this with, whether it's the creatives in the advertising industry or actually in the music industry, really are excited by the potential of AI to kind of augment human creativity. Hello, it's Omar Oaks, editor of The Media Leader, and we have another bonus episode for you this week. We're so kind to you, aren't we? You know what? Ad-free media, pumping out quality content just for the love of this industry we cover so diligently. <laughs> but seriously, guys, um, we've had so much interest in the podcast in recent weeks as we've started to do more with it. You may have noticed we've launched new formats. Um, we're getting our regular columnists involved and we really appreciate all the supports. And, you know, we see this as an extension of what the media leader tries to do every day on our website, themedialeader.co.uk and our daily newsletter, which is offer a robust, lively and above all useful publication where we talk about what really matters in media and advertising today. And we try to do that without pandering to certain parts of this industry, without deciding to charge companies just to put out whatever badly written nonsense they want to all over their websites and without having to rely on a sweary marketing professor. Um, is it obvious who I'm referring to? Well, sorry, I'm not a subtle kind of guy. Um, with that in mind, let me introduce my guest today, which is Google's Matt Britton, who holds the illustrious role of EMEA president and is one of the MediaTek BMOT's most well-known figures. We recorded this interview during Can Lions, so there's a fair bit about that, but also some really thoughtful conversation from him around artificial intelligence. And also, the question you know I love to ask people who get senior jobs in media and advertising, how did you get there? What's the secret ingredient that got you where you were today? After stripping back all the luck and unique circumstances that everyone needs to get anywhere in life. And if you think I'm not listening to these answers and wondering what I've been doing with my life the last 20 years, then you don't know me well enough. Get in touch if you want to, um, maybe. Anyway, on to the interview. Here's my conversation with Matt Britton from Google. So Matt Britton, how many times have you been to Cannes and how is it different in 2023? Well, I don't know for certain, but probably about 10 or 12 uh, times. And when I started, people were saying, why is a tech company here? And we didn't know anybody and there's a lot of running around. And I think today, you know, it's all about the substance and particularly, obviously, AI and what it can do for creativity and transforming the ad industry. So fascinating conversations at a really in interesting time. Yeah, I mean, as you say, so much chat about AI. I mean, we'll get into that in Google in just a second. But generally, I mean, do you even get time to kind of see or hear what's going on in the Palais and maybe even some of the award winners? I assume I haven't followed it myself yet, but I assume some have been rewarded for efforts in artificial intelligence. I mean, obviously, you know, it's such a big topic outside of the Palais with all the media and tech conversations that are happening. But do you feel like creatively the industry is really embracing AI in the way that it should be? Um, I think there's a couple of things I'd say. Firstly, AI has sort of come to be the dinner table conversation in only in the last few months because people have started to see chatbots. But actually, it's been with us for a long time. And we at Google, we began work on AI years ago. And um, uh, today, actually, if you look at our ads products, over 80% of our advertisers globally are using at least one AI-powered product. Um, that's typically Performance Max, which is getting your campaigns automated and in the right places. It gives 
something like an 18% improvement in conversions at the same price for people who automate. It's amazing power. Um, so people are using that already. Or if I think about asset creation, you know, on YouTube, 25% um, of our advertisers have got at least one uh, AI created asset in their campaign. So we've already got some of that happening today. You're absolutely right, it's an inflection point. And uh, I was in the Palais earlier uh, and uh, we had James Manyika, um, who is our head of AI research, alongside Robert Wong, who's one of our leading creatives, talking about AI and creativity just then. I tried to go and listen to other people too, but I was particularly keen to hear what they said. Everyone's <laughs> time for. Um, so so give, us a, give us a pricey. What, what should our listeners slash readers know about AI um, that they probably don't already? Well, I mean, gosh, if I start at the higher level than just advertising, I mean, I think that um, what is AI? It's, it's um, powerful computing that can spot patterns, make predictions and learn. It's been with us, with us for some time and so we use it today in things like search, Google Lens is built on AI, Google Translate, which is my favorite product, is translating 150 billion words a day and it gets better every day with AI. Um, if you've used um, fuel saving routes on Google Maps, uh, that's powered by AI. So all of those things are powered by AI today. And we've had some real breakthroughs as well. So at Google, our approach is to try to be bold, responsible, and do it together. So breakthroughs, not in advertising, but um, DeepMind and the protein folding. Some of the people listening might have heard about this, but but if you haven't and don't understand proteins, uh, my understanding is the 3D structure of a protein is kind of important for scientific research, and it's been quite hard to model them. So it would take a PhD student maybe five years to come up with the model with a 3D structure of a protein. So five years, one PhD student. Using AI, our team at DeepMind in London was able to create AlphaFold, and they, they basically modeled 200 million proteins, which is pretty much all 200 million proteins known to science in a year. Think of that, a huge advance, and we made that available for free to all of the researchers in the world. So malaria, drug discovery, vaccine development, these will all be massively accelerated now thanks to that breakthrough. So there's really bold things that are possible. And, um, and it's not just generative AI, but there are really incredible uh, advances that are happening at an accelerating rate. And so aside from thought leadership and talking to people about product development and roadmap for where's Google going, I mean, so what, what do you talk to people about during CanLines? I mean, you don't need to reveal uh, intimate conversations unless you want to. <laughs> but um, yeah, what, what generally, what, what, do you, what do you hear when it comes to networking and talking to global clients, I assume, agencies. What, what are you generally talking about? Well, I started off by saying, you know, that um, 10 years ago when I first started coming here, we didn't know people. So a lot of it is about like actually just meeting people face to face. Uh, where we are today, I think is, yes, you're absolutely right. We're meeting with all the big agency groups, with um, we're meeting with all the big clients, and we're meeting actually also with a bunch of the industry players, competitors and industry bodies. Uh, we're a big player in advertising, obviously, and we've got big responsibility to be part of the industry and support the awards and the creativity and so on. The substance of the discussions very much is kind of checking in on the progress we're making, because when we're partnering with these organizations, we're helping them to transform digitally. And the last 10 years, is a lot of it's been about, you know, really getting to grips with digital marketing and advertising and so on. But I think the next will be true business transformation, when you can take some of these foundation models we've got in AI, Google Cloud, you'll, you'll now be able to take an enormous foundational model that we've built with, you know, 350 billion parameters in it and bring your own data, combine the two, 
do that in a way that's kept separate from Google's model, so you're not leaking data or training our model and create something truly brilliant. And that be, you know, Booking.com could make much better recommendations, or Unilever could connect our consumer demand and their supply chain management to reduce waste and improve uh, sustainability. So that kind of transformation, we're really standing on the edge of that now, much broader than advertising and marketing, but actually true sort of transformation of businesses thanks to the power of AI. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the big changes we've obviously seen over the decades, so as you say, you become such a big player in online advertising, um, dominating search, obviously. I mean, how a lot of that comes down to the self-serve capabilities that Google offers along with other major platforms. Um, and, you know, you just think about AI and the opportunities that has for media planning, for example. I mean, what do you see forward for the role of agencies, for example, in a role where, you know, brands can increasingly do a lot of this stuff themselves using self-serve stuff on platforms? Well, I think, firstly, you're absolutely right. And one of the things I've been excited about working at Google over the years is working with small businesses. So, you know, small businesses, you know, first using search were able to advertise and, you know, only pay when somebody actually connects with them and a shoe shop in Nottingham can suddenly sell to somebody looking for shoes in Japan. That's transformational for small businesses and those that were online are growing faster, exporting more. But now with AI, we can help them to do things like, you know, with Performance Backs, our performance campaign that simplifies how you do marketing with Google, we can just look at the website use that to create assets from your brand and your photography and your copy of all kinds of different sizes and shapes and, and then use those to build campaigns which really work for that business. So I think it's democratizing some of these sort of services. But to the big agencies, and I've had several meetings today with you know the, the larger companies, uh, there's a real opportunity here. You are still going to need, Robert Wong was saying, our creative director was saying on stage, you're still going to need uh, to ask the questions, uh, to have the ideas, AI can help you kind of create many, many more ideas, but also to have taste and judgment about how you want to go about things. And I think the creatives we share this with, whether it's the creatives in the advertising industry or actually in the music industry, really are excited by the potential of AI to kind of augment human creativity. And it's the human creativity and ingenuity alongside AI that I think is going to be really transformational. Yeah, I think it's fascinating talking to so many people about AI this week. Um, as you say, the opportunity is there for, in the long term, you know, it could be a net negative, net positive for jobs overall in the industry. But what's clearly going to happen is a lot of a lot of tasks that maybe entry level people would have done before in the industry will be automated. I mean, what do, do you think that that means medium to long term that people coming into this industry are going to have to be a lot more qualified or certainly learn a lot in a quicker amount of time in order to, you know, to, to, to train the AIs, to work with the AIs? Well, I think, you know, I'm concerned about jobs and employment across all industries. And I think what what we can say is nobody really knows at this point. But if you look to previous technical uh, innovations, what you typically see is there are some jobs that, you know, ultimately disappear. There are quite a lot more jobs that are often created. And then most jobs are affected in terms of how you do them. So you think about electricity, you know, you don't spend four hours a day doing the dishes, you spend 20 minutes loading and unloading the dishwasher, so you can spend time on other stuff. You think about, I mean, talking to Mark Reed at WPP yesterday, 
um, you know, they've got thousands of jobs that, in their company that didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, they didn't have social marketing. They didn't have 20 years ago search engine marketing. They didn't have data and measurement team. So I think it's easy to see some of the tasks that are going to get transformed. It's a bit harder to see the, the new industries. And I think there's everything to play for in harnessing these new tools. Um, right now, I think we're at a sort of nobody knows stage. So talking to some of our big customers, you know, they're really unsure as to what AI can do for them. They're starting to experiment, which is great, but you know, it's not quite clear how it's going to work out. So we need to be in that sort of experimental phase at this point. Yeah. And um, so we've gone into quite a bit about kind of what you've been talking about and what you've been saying. Are there any key learnings that um, you feel like you're going to take from this week or maybe things that have surprised you in terms of what you've heard? I think there's a level of excitement around you know the creative part of this industry, real level of excitement about what's going to be possible in the future. Um, genuine curiosity. I mean, often curiosity, curiosity and creativity are two sides of the same coin. So I think there's, there's that kind of spirit. Second thing I really feel is, is um, you know, we, we are now firmly in a back together world and the value of, of those human connections, really you can't underestimate them. So I think that kind of energy is there as well. And then for us as well, the, the spirit of partnership, you know, genuinely, I think we've gone from being an industry outsider to being a key part of an industry trying to play our part well, always challenging, but also always partnering. And that spirit of like, how do we embark on this next chapter as an industry? Think about some of the things we've got to do, right? We've got to make sure advertising continues to fund the open and affordable web for everyone. Uh, we've got to make sure that advertising is privacy safe uh, and responsible and sustainable. Uh, and we've got to um, do that in a world where um, consumer behavior is changing faster than ever and technology with AI is changing faster than ever. So that smells like a, an opportunity. You know, times of disruption, that's when creativity does best, I think. So I think it's an exciting time. And you go to the, your question about, you know, younger people coming into the industry. Actually, the skills you need today are around curiosity, creativity, collaboration, those sorts of communication, those sorts of skills are going to be at a premium. And we've got to be ready to reinvent ourselves technically. So, you know, I'm very old. I graduated from university in 1989, and that's the year Berners-Lee wrote the memo that led to the creation of the web. I've spent the last 20 years working in jobs that entirely depended on that invention. So, you know, you can't necessarily train and design people today for the careers that they're going to have. What we can do is equip people with those sorts of skills that can complement what technology can do in ways that will allow them to create real value. Yeah, and um, and how did and how did you get into that? I mean, was it through luck in hindsight, or did you kind of feel that in hindsight, yeah, I was pretty switched on, and I I knew what was I had a good sense for what was coming, so I, you know, I I, I made sure I got into a digital game. I mean, how how did it happen for you? So I I learned that there are two ways of spinning these stories. So I could say, well, you know what, what I did was I really wanted to be at the forefront of technology and innovation and how that interacts with society. And so, you know, I started out in a job that was involving doing deals in the real estate industry. And then I realized I needed to get much broader business skills. So I went to business school at London Business School. Then I went into consulting to really broaden my business skill set. Then in consulting, I started to do more in consumer businesses and technology businesses. And that equipped me well to go and work in the media industry. I worked in newspapers for a period of time. And then Google was looking for somebody who had technology, media, commercial experience. So that's the, you know, that's the strategy story told forward. But actually, it's completely random. 
you know, I just, like anybody in a career, I was trying to figure out like, what was I good at? What did I enjoy? What could people pay me for? And I was also trying to be a full-time sportsman through a load of that period of time. I was a rower in the British team in the years before we were really successful. Um, so um, you couldn't be a full-time athlete. There was no funding. So I was in the real estate industry, um, trying to kind of uh, go and row in the morning, go to the office, have a little sleep in the middle of the day, go training in the afternoon, and they were supportive of that. Uh, so you're, you're trying to get into Team GB, or you were in Team GB, you and Steve Redgrave, I assume? Yeah, I was in the British team when Redgrave was the only person winning uh, gold medal, so a long time ago. But I guess I make the point um, for those listening, you know, careers are quite often random uh, in terms of how they unfold, but you can sort of uh, make sense of them in retrospect, you know, so I got I stopped rowing. And then I was a bit bored doing real estate and I wasn't very good at it. So I looked for something else to do. And I, somebody, I ran into somebody who said, you should try business school. So I took the exam, turned out, I got in. So then I went to business school. I had no idea what to do. So consulting seemed like a good option. I still had no idea what to do, but I liked the consumer stuff in consulting. And then I worked in a newspaper company. I liked that. And they offered me a job. And so it was really random. So I do think, you know, if you're thinking about your career in these, these days, actually, it's about having these experiences and, and building relationships with people that allow these things to uh, unfold. And then Google was looking for a country manager for the UK 16 years ago, and they wanted somebody who was strategic, who understood the media industry, uh, who understood a bit about technology. And I looked like the right kind of person, completely random. Yeah, and um, yeah, Google's done all right since I think it's fair to say. Um, fi final question, um, and it's it's top of mind for me because I attended a talk by um, World Media Group this morning talking about the impact of AI on publishing. And lots of interesting discussions about um, the ethics around transparency in terms of if publishers, for example, are going to start using AIs to help write stories and headlines and all the rest of it, how much should they declare? Um, and the same will go for brands, I suppose, as well, potentially agencies, how much, you know, um, do you, I mean, where, in terms of the Google products and services, how much, you know, do you feel that there needs to be transparency in terms of what is created by an AI versus a human? And do you think that puts more pressure on a company like Google, which, you know, obviously has its proprietary algorithm for search and other things? Open AI has been, you know, open kind of open sourcing these things. Do you, you know, does that put more pressure on a Google to be open about how algorithms are, are made? That was an enormous question with a lot of pieces, but I think that the essence of it is, you know, with the emergence of synthetic content, how do we think about that? And so I go back to the principles of Google, which, you know, since we started, we've been trying to fight web spam and we've been trying to find content that's relevant and useful for you. Uh, scroll forwards uh, around the time after 9 and 11, we realized that our search uh, engine didn't do a good job with news. And so we built Google News and we went to 80,000 publishers who are who they say they are. And when we search for a news story, we know we're sending you to somebody authoritative with journalists. You might disagree with the political uh, array of views displayed there, but you know we've always worked hard to try to ensure that people can find quality answers. That's why we haven't built generative AI into search. Uh, at this point, we've got some experimental features and when they're ready, we will bring them to search. But people you know, really trust search. I think with synthetic content, it'll be just like human content, right? There'll be some good content and there'll be some spammy content and there'll be some false content. And we'll need to, to find ways to understand that both in the synthetic and the real world. I also think we're gonna to need to think about questions like intellectual property, copyrights, provenance, sourcing. So there's lots of issues to work through. Technology can help. So we're working on watermarking. So if something is, has been developed uh, synthetically with AI, can we watermark it so that 
you know, even future iterations of that image, for example, can be detected as being AI generated, metadata around things, but also can we use uh, other technologies to um, understand whether something's synthetic or not? I think the bigger challenge will be understanding whether something's quality or not, because mm -hmm. um, there'll be an explosion of content, a bit like back in the days when social media first arrived and suddenly- It's already you know, starting to happen, everyone, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the, the genie is out of the bottle and it's up to organizations like ours to work with publishers and others. And I think, you know, our partnership with the news industry over the last 10 years, I've been at the heart of really trying to help the migration to digital, help quality content thrive to get monetized, reduce um, and remove uh, poor quality content and, and help us to have a really vibrant ecosystem of journalism. I'm proud that Google's probably the biggest supporter of journalism on the planet in terms of financial sending traffic and the partnerships that we have. Okay, Matt Britton from Google, thank you very much. Thank you, pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time. <laughs>